Well, good morning. Welcome to Hope Chapel. Now, I've not had the privilege of meeting you yet. My name's Neil Davidson. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel. It's my privilege today to bring our Easter message. You know, uh, sometimes it's really hard to believe the Bible and put it into play. You know, because there's a place in the Bible where Jesus tells his disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say. Because when the moment comes, I'm going to give you the words. And I got to tell you, as a preacher, it's really hard to believe that on Easter week. You know, like, it's like, ah, I'm not going to worry about what I'm going to say. And I'm going to plan because when the time goes, because in 30 minutes or less, I'm supposed to somehow or another mine the depths of the singular most important event in human history. So the next 30 minutes, I'm supposed to be able to unlock all the pieces, right, of what it means that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And maybe even throw in there a little bit of convincing that he actually was resurrected from the dead. And on top of that, I'm not even speaking to a normal Sunday morning crowd, right? You know, it's, I, Easter Sunday has a tendency to bring a variety to the Sunday morning crowd. You know, I, I kind of think of it like sports fans, right? Some of you are the diehards, right? You know, the, the, the schedule of your favorite team comes out. The first thing you do is you put it on your calendar. You build your whole week around it. You, you're ready to see every game, right? You know, and some of you are like that with church. You build your week about, around being connected with church. And that's great. You're here every single week here in the message. Some of you are more like casual fans, right? You know, you're, you're the type like, well, you know, I'll root for the team some, but, you know, if they make the playoffs, then I'll kind of dial in, right? You know, so church is kind of one of those things, well, I'll go when it's really, 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 really convenient, but when it comes to the biggies, the playoff Sundays, I'll show up right? Because it's just the right thing to do. I, I might even host a Super Bowl party, right? I don't know the rules, and I don't know any of the players on the team, but I'll host it because it's the playoffs. And then there's some of you are what I refer to as the good sports. And what I mean by that is you really don't want to be here. <laughs> but somebody invited you. And so you're just being a good sport today because you're here with them, right? You know, and, and, and some of you might even be rooting for the other side a little bit. <laughs> You know, you're, you're, you're not even rooting for the home team. You're kind of rooting for the other side. And, and so here I am, standing up here with 30 minutes, talking about the singular most important event in human history. And I'm supposed to convince all of you that no matter what your expectation is, currently of God, it's not high enough. No matter how far you've come in your walk of faith, whether you haven't taken a step or whether you think you're at the far end of the road and there's no more room to go, that there's more of Jesus that you can experience. That's what my challenge is today. And it's not easy. But I hope to make a dent in it. I, I hope that when you leave here today, you'll at least be ready to start having a conversation with God about what the resurrection should really mean in your lives. And, and fortunately, I've got some really good material to work with, right? Because Easter changes everything. Say that with me. Easter changes everything. If you, don't, if you don't get anything else out of today, I want you to take that out of here with you, and I hope it rattles around in your brain, you know, that you just can't get it out there, that Easter changes everything. You know that song, 1-800-CAR-FOR-KIDS? Um, you guys, you know that song? I don't know what you were like, but when we're riding in the car. If that song comes on, my wife can turn off the radio in a quarter of a second. It's amazing how quick she can be because that tune gets in your head, you can't get it out. I'm hoping that's what this message is like for you today, right? That Easter changes everything. It just gets in your head and it can't get out of there. And so, um, you know, 
One of our convictions here at Hope Chapel is that we believe that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so the really, the only way that we can really know the truth is to understand the word. To understand what the Bible says. You know, for the most part, I tell the church on a regular basis, if you're kind of visiting today, I tell them, you really don't want to know what I think. In fact, you really don't even want to know what the church thinks. What you really want to know is what does the Bible say, right? You want to be able to understand what the Bible says because it's in knowing the truth, which is contained in the Bible, that we actually get to experience the freedom that God's trying to give us because of the resurrection, because Jesus was raised from the dead. And today I'm going to use maybe a kind of a non-typical Easter Sunday text, but it, 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 it just brings out so many of the aspects of the way that Easter, Jesus' resurrection, is supposed to change everything. So let me encourage you to grab a Bible. Hopefully you brought one with you, but if you didn't, that's perfectly fine. We don't expect you to be a Bible expert before you come to Hope Chapel. If you didn't bring one, there'll be one underneath your chair. And we're going to be in the book of First Peter today. So those of you who have your own Bible, First Peter's over towards the end of it. So if you can get to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, work your way back a little bit, you're going to come to the book of First Peter. If you're using one of the Bibles that's underneath your chair, like I am, you're going to find our text today on page 1,028. 1,028. And I want to read just the first nine verses of this chapter for us. And I want to use it as a basis for bringing out what does it really mean? What are some of the implications of Jesus' resurrection? How is it that Easter changes everything? And I hope there's a little bit of here for everybody. Those of you who are the diehards or are looking for more, you know, there's more of God because God can't ever be totally, fully, totally experienced. Or those of you who are saying, you know, this religion stuff is really just more like for, you know, people kind of need a crutch to deal with the biggest uncertainties of life. And I can deal without that kind of stuff, you know. But I, I, I'm hoping all of this will somehow or another engage you. So let, let's read this together. And I really encourage you to follow along because this is, this is one of those passages where a lot of theology comes at us fast. My word for theology, deep biblical theology, is the word stuff. There's a lot of stuff that comes at us fast. And, you know, so it's one of those things where you've got to hike up the pants a little bit because it's going to get deep in a hurry. And you're going to get a lot more out of it if you follow along. But let me just read these verses for you. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the temporary residents of the dispersion in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, according to his great mercy, see it most clearly in the cross, Jesus' death for us on Good Friday, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through, what's the word there? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection, through the Easter, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You who are being protected by God's power through faith, for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this. Now for a short time, you have had to be distressed by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, 
glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The words are coming fast now, right? Heavy stuff, right? You love him, though you have not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me just make three quick points for us today. And one of the things we can see from this text, when Peter tells us that you and I have, by the mercy of God, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been, we have been given a new birth into a living hope. And one of the conclusions we can draw from that is that Easter as it changes everything, literally changes who you are. Jesus, the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we are in that through our faith in Jesus Christ, it literally changes who we are in the eyes of God. It changes our identity. Now, we had a lot of fun with this last night, you know, as we looked at the way that the cross frees us from our old self and allows us to put on a new self. And I had a shirt up here that I was wearing that was just full of mustard and ketchup and pen marks and et cetera. And, and a lot of times what we're trying to do is, even though it's been nailed to the cross with Jesus, we're, we keep trying to drag it down and see if we can clean it up a little bit and put it back on. And, and God's trying to give us a brand new identity in Jesus, right? And he says, the the result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that you and I have experienced a new birth. We're, we're brand new people in the eyes of God. Now, let me give you a couple of examples. And let me use one of these here as, as a, maybe as a, as a, a case for, for proving that the resurrection actually happened. Because there, there certainly are a lot of skeptics today. It's, you know, it's a great story. It's a great myth, happy ending, all that kind of stuff. But it just didn't happen. Right, you know, and and just something that's kind of invented by his disciples. So let, let's just let's just back up for just a little minute and and take a look at our author today, Peter. Right, Peter says an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the way they wrote letters in the old days. Right, when I was in college, back before email, back before cell phones, back before text messages and Instagram and all those other kinds of things. Right, I actually had to write letters to Christina when I was at college. You know, and we start out with, dear Christina, and we sign it at the end, love Neil, right? That's not the way they did it in the, old, in the older times. They would say, Peter, to the churches that make up northeast Turkey and central, the northern part of central Turkey. You know, they just, right out of the front, they identified who was, who was the writer and who was the recipients. Peter starts right out and says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, let's think about Peter for a minute. What was Peter like before the resurrection? Let's just, the last couple of days, you know, Peter started out as a fisherman and that kind of stuff, and he's kind of bold and, you know, that kind of idea. And, 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 but you look at him in the last, literally the last few hours of Jesus' life, and Peter doesn't paint a real pretty picture for us. You know, in, in one way, he's, he, he, is, he is DD before Dunkin' Donuts, right? He's defiant, right? And, 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 and he's dumb, you know? And so, why do I say that? You know, we, Thursday night, we, we did a Monday Thursday service here. And some of you know that certainly on the last night of Jesus' life, there was communion. There was a Lord's Supper. But there was also a foot washing experience, right? 
Jesus got up from the table, took off his, his outer garments, kind of put on his work clothes, and he went around one by one, and he washed the disciples' feet. And when he got to Peter, Peter said, you're not doing that. I don't care what you're saying. You're not washing my feet. Only slaves wash Jewish people's feet. You're not doing that. I'm not letting you do that. And he's defiant. And then Jesus says, you know what? If you don't let me wash your feet, you, you don't have no part, any part of me at all. And he says, well, let me take my shirt off. You can give me a full bath. You know, he shows how dumb he is. He just doesn't get what Jesus is doing at all. He's defiant and he's dumb. He, he's also just weak. He's human, right? Jesus is in his hour of need. He takes Peter, James, and John, goes off to a special part in this garden that we call Gethsemane. <clears throat> and he's, and, and he's, he says, you guys, need it. I need you guys as my best friends, the ones who are in my inner circle. I need you to stay awake and pray for me. I need you to be there for me. He wanders off. Next thing you know, they're asleep. Comes back, wakes him up. I can't believe you guys. You're supposed to be my friends. You're going to stay. You know. Off he goes again. Sleep. Peter's just, I mean, he, he's just, he, he's, He's not up to the challenge, right? He's just not up to the challenge. Then you take Peter saying, you know, the whole thing of, you know, tonight, you know, all of you are going to scatter. Peter says, I don't care what the other guys do. I ain't leaving your side. I am your wingman. You cannot, you can depend upon me. I don't care if I have to die with you. I'm not leaving your side. And he's bold, right? A few hours later, Peter's like, you know what? He's not worth dying for. I don't know this guy. I don't know this guy. I don't know this guy. And so you look, at, you look at Peter, you look at all the disciples, and after Jesus is crucified, the only thing they can think of is how do we stay alive till we can get back to Galilee? And so they're huddled out in a room, making sure that nobody knows where they're at. They got their cell phones off so they can't be pinged, so they don't know where they're at. I mean, they're, they're trying to hide from the authorities. And then within a few hours, when Jesus is resurrected, things begin to change. And when we next pick up Peter, he's being restored by Jesus, right? He says, Jesus, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And in this restoration, and then with the coming of the, the filling of the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter's a totally different person. The day of Pentecost comes, and they're preaching, and they're hauled in before the authorities. And whereas before, he's saying, I don't know this guy. I don't know what you're talking about. I swear by my mother's grave. I don't know this guy. Now he's saying, you know what? I don't care what you guys say. But we, we, we just can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. You know, and then, and then later, you see Peter is, he, you know, they've already killed one of the, of the disciples, James. And so they, now they've got Peter, his brother, and he's ready to be dead. He's got a date with the execution the first thing in the morning. And God decides he's going to respond to the people's prayers and release them. And Peter is in such a deep sleep in his jail cell that the angel has a hard time waking him up. I mean, he's just totally at peace with the whole thing, right? And, and so you look at the before and the after of the resurrection, what happened to Peter? And the only thing I can conclude is that Jesus really was resurrected. Now, some of you can say, hey, you know, they, these guys, you know, they just kind of invented this or whatever. I, you know, listen, there's only two reasons why you would invent that, right? One, you were just incredibly insane. You just, just, you just, prove, you just convinced yourself that something that wasn't true was true. But you read their writings, and they don't give you any impression about being insane. You just, just read through what Paul and Peter and James and John and the stuff that they wrote. They, they don't come across as insane guys. These are guys who knew what was going on. The only other reason you invent stuff like that is just to get filthy rich, right? 
This is an opportunity to scam the whole world, get rich, I can retire early, hit the Caribbean before it was even discovered, and just, you know, have the beach to myself. That's, that's not what happened. These guys did not become rich. They did not become popular. What, what, what changed them? I got to tell you, it is because they became a new person in Christ because Jesus was resurrected. And that's what this text talks about happening to everyone who is a recipient of this letter. You know, notice it says in, in the first verse, he says it refers to them as temporary residents, right? And, and from this perspective, you know, this far removed from it, we don't really get what he's saying here. You know, but you got to remember, this was a term that was used to refer to the 10 tribes of Israel as they were dispersed out, you know, from the northern kingdom back in the days right after David and Solomon. And, and they, they, were, they were the Jews of the dispersion that were spread out. They were God's elect that were spread out around the world. And what Peter's saying is that you used to be people who were outside of it. I'm just trying to unpack this just a little bit. Flip over just to, to chapter 2. For those of you who are in our pew Bible, you're not even going to have to go, to go to even turn a page. I just want to read verses 9 and 10 to us. But keep this in mind. These recipients are Gentiles. What that means is they're not Jewish. They're not descendants of Abraham, right? They're outside of the covenant. And up to this point in time, this is what the Jews thought Gentiles were for. They thought, you know what? To keep the fires of hell burning forever, you're going to need a lot of fuel. That's what God's got the Gentiles for. That's the way the Jews understood the Gentiles' role in the kingdom of God. They were designed to be the kindling and then the logs that kept the fires of hell going for eternity. So the only reason somebody who wasn't Jewish was brought into the world was just to kind of keep the fires of hell going. That, that's the way they were understood. They were outside of. Look at how Peter describes them in verses 9 and 10. But you're a chosen race. This is to the Gentiles, right? You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for God's possession, so that you may pro- proclaim the phrases of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, But now, what? You are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What what Peter is trying to convince them was, you know, if if originally God's covenant extended just to the people who fit on this platform, said you guys were way down by the sign that you turned in off of a chocolate road. But now God has reached out and he's brought you in and you are a part of the family of God. You're part of the kingdom. I've given you a brand new identity. It's like God said, you know what? I want you to take that passport that you have in your, your pocket. It says, and, and you're not going to be a citizen. I want you just to get rid of that, right? So I'm going to give you a brand new passport. And what this one's going to say is a person that God has lavished his love on so that they can be called the children of God. You know, this, this is one of the ones who was outside, had not received mercy, but now has received mercy. One who's gone from being a part of the world to being a part of the kingdom of God. God gives us a brand new identity because of the resurrection. We're a totally different person. The second thing I want you to see from this text is this. He's, he gives us a new birth what, from a, to a living hope. And what that indicates to us is that Easter, the resurrection means that you and I Easter changes the way that you and I live. Easter changes the way you and I live. Again, this is not something that I can fully unpack in just a few minutes that we have. That's why we're going to start a series next week entitled Do-Over. 
learning how to live life by grace. And some of us, we need to figure that out. Even though we have a belief in God, we, we really haven't figured out how to live life by God's grace. And we're going to start looking at that next week. And we, it'd be great to have you with us. If for some reason you live too far away or whatever, and you're just you know, visiting family from out of the region, you can catch it on our website. You can watch Facebook Live. You can do those kind of things. But, but I just want to point out two aspects to you today about this. He, he says here, there's a couple places I want you to, to point you to is one is this idea, this living hope, and the way you kind of, this word hope is almost impossible the way the Bible uses to put into words. It's not like it gives you just a catchy phrase and you get it all because it's, it's such a rich, it's the idea of assurance, of confidence, of, of strength that comes from conviction because you're certain of something that you haven't even seen yet. You know, you have this love for one, as it talks about later in the text, that, that you can't actually touch, but, but you know he's real and you relate to him. And, that, and, and, it, and it brings this, this conviction, this strength, this assurance, this, you know, this, this togetherness, if you will, this, this hope that flows out of it. And, and, and I try to think, how, how can I illustrate that in a way that speaks to any of you and, and speaks to me. And, and for those of you who've been around long enough, you know that I, I only get the simplest of illustrations, right? So I'm going to use an illustration from my love for sports. And so this past year, one of the greatest sacrifices I made in Christian ministry was I missed the Super Bowl because I was in Rwanda, right? You know, um, I, I love watching the Patriots and et cetera. The game come on at like 3 o'clock in the morning in Rwanda. I couldn't get my phone to work enough, et cetera. And, you know, obviously I didn't miss an incredible ending. I want you to go to the year before, right, when the Patriots are playing the Falcons. Anybody remember 28-3? The diehards do, right? You remember 23. So I want you to think about what it was like watching the game as a diehard and you're early in the second half, and it's 28-3 and getting worse. And, and I don't know how you felt, but I was ready. We were at somebody's house. I was ready to pack up and go home. This game's over. It's done. You know, and I'm a big believer. I've been watching the Patriots since the 70s when they stunk. You know, and, 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 and I'm thinking, this game is over. You know, Brady needs his wheelchair. You know, take him to the thing. And, and Belichick has finally lost his mind. And he's got, you know, the dynasty's over. And thinking, this is terrible. Right? Anybody there? Just ready to jump off the cliff. Right? And then, and then the game kind of turned around. Right? So how many of you, like me, have watched the game in replay on the NFL network? Right? So how does the early second half feel? When you're watching it on replay, you're saying, man, I can't believe we're behind by that much. But that, all those feelings are gone. Why? Because you know what the outcome's going to be, right? The, the, the resurrection tells us what the outcome's going to be for those who are in Christ. And because of that, the resurrection gives us the power to live with a living hope. No matter how bad it looks, and sometimes it looks really bad, doesn't it? We know what the outcome is going to be. And so we have this assurance, this conviction, this strength, this, this confidence that says, you know what, it's going to be all right. Because God's at work and I can see it in the resurrection. The other word that he uses here is the word joy. You know, it comes up in verse 6 where he says, you rejoice in this. 
Then a little later, down in verse nine, um, 8 and 9, it talks about having this, with, we, we believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. It's like, it's like Paul can't turn the volume up on what he was trying to say. I mean, sorry, Peter can't turn the volume up enough of what he wants to say about joy. And, and, and what is that really? You know, joy is, 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 again, it's one of those words that's really hard to, 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 to put into, into words for us because it's, it's so large. But, but it's just a culture of contentment and of fulfillment and of satisfaction, you know, and, and all those kind of, And, and what, what he's been saying through this text is we, because of the resurrection, and we know that Jesus is alive and that God's involved in everything, and we know that even when we're going through the very most difficult moments, like he talks about the various trials that are going on early here, these Christians were actually some of the first Christians in the world to experience persecution. They, they, their, their freedoms and their rights and their businesses and their and all was starting to be pressured because they weren't participating in the, 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 the religious cult of the region and they were beginning to experience persecution. And they're like, why is life getting harder as we follow? And, 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 and Peter assures them, listen, because Jesus was resurrected, every single experience that you have is a part of the way that God grows, you, grows your faith and prepares you for the next world. So even in the midst of incredible difficulty, it should bring you a sense of joy. Because even when things are really great, when things are wicked good, right? And when things are wicked bad, you can say God's at work. And that brings you joy. It brings you joy. It doesn't necessarily mean that you don't hurt, but it brings you joy. The kind of joy that's inexpressible. And glorious. It's an incredible type of joy. And he said, this is how you're supposed to live. You're supposed to be people who have this living hope. This, because Jesus is resurrected from the grave, you can be a whole different person and you're living a whole different way. Because you, 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 you have a living hope and you have a joy that just permeates everything that goes on in your life. Because you know that God's always at work. God's getting you ready for the world that he has for you to come. One last truth I want to point out to you. Not only does Easter change who we are, not only does Easter change how you and I can live, but Easter changes what happens to us when we die. It's a great topic for Easter, right? It's supposed to be spring and light. Let's just spend a moment talking about what happens to us when we die. Notice what he says here in verse 3 and 4. He says, you have been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and what? Into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's protected by God's power through faith. And then a little later, he says that we receive as a goal of our faith the salvation of our souls. I love the way that he describes this inheritance that we have from God. He says that it's imperishable, uncorruptible, and unfading. What, what he's really meaning, he says, we would, the language that probably speak a little bit stronger to us is this inheritance that God has for us is death-proof. Not even dying can take it away from you. In fact, that's when you actually step into it in a fuller sense than you ever had before. It's death-proof. It's imperishable. It's uncorrupted. It means it's sin-proof. You know what? No matter how hard you and I may try... In our, in our own stupidity, even our own sin can't screw up 
the inheritance that God has for us. Because God has a great mercy. And it's a mercy that has power. Because Jesus not only died for sin, he has had victory over death, right? And so it's, 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 it's sin-proof. And it's unfading. It's, it's, it's time-proof, right? You know, some of us, we look in the mirror and say, I hope I'm aging well, right? Any of you good? Maybe not. So, you know, it, 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 when, you, when you look at this inheritance, you never have to ask the question, is it, is it aging well? Because it never ages. It's unfading. It's glory at that moment when Jesus first was resurrected from the grave. That's what the video said. This, this, the, the impact of Easter and how we react to it should be exactly the same as the first guys because it's still the same. And it, it guarantees that you and I, when this life is over, that our journey through this world is not designed to be a destination. It's simply designed to be a bridge for the next life. And, and what Easter screams to us is, don't build your house on the bridge. Keep moving for the real destination, which is this inheritance that God has for us. It's powerful stuff. Easter changes everything. So here's what I tell you as we wrap up. I am convinced that the resurrection happened. I am convinced that the resurrection happened. And with that, I believe that Jesus' resurrection verifies who he was, verifies what he taught, and verifies what he came to do, which was to die in our place so that you and I can have a relationship with God that turns us into brand new creatures, opens up a whole new world of living to us, and grants us a life that's never going to end but it's going to be spent in eternity with the Father in heaven. That's our inheritance. That's what I believe. And, 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 and with that, I am absolutely convinced, and I hope you're getting a little closer to it yourself, that Easter really does change everything. So the only question really left is, is Easter going to change you? Is Easter going to change you? And I can't answer that question for you, your wife or your husband sitting next to you, your aunt or your grandmother or, or your best friend who brought you or your manager at work that you were afraid to say no to or whatever. It, 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 they can't answer those questions for you either. It's the question you have to answer for yourself. Is Easter going to change me? And just in case you don't know how, how, how that change happens, it's a gift. It's not something you've got to do. It's a gift. Paul put it differently. You know, it, it, for we are, it is by grace that we are saved by faith. It, it's not of anything that we do. It is the gift of God. And the way in you and I embrace that gift is we just acknowledge, you know what? I need a Savior. I'm a good person. People like, have, love having me live next door to them, but I am not perfect. I'm a sinner, right? I can be selfish. I can be angry. I can be unforgiving. I can be lustful. I can be prideful. I can be materialistic. I can be greedy. The list can just go on and on. I am not perfect. I need a savior. And with that, make the decision to commit your life by faith to Christ and to walk with him. That's what it takes to receive the gift. And with that, Easter will change everything.
If that's a step you're really to take today, we just want to make sure you can keep taking steps. So there's a place on your connection card to say, today, you know what, I'm, I'm committing my life to Christ. And you can just check that off. If, and you can either just hand that to me or put it in the offering plate or whatever you want to do. I'm going to be in the lobby. I'd love to get a chance to connect with you. Our, our regulars know to kind of stay away from, from some of the staff so we have a chance to connect with the newer people and with people who are taking steps of faith. And, and we'd love to have a chance just to connect with you. And, but it, it is one of those marvelous things that despite how incredible it is, God has made it incredibly easy for us to receive his gift. Acknowledge we need a savior. Believe that Jesus is that savior and commit our lives by faith to walking with him. Let's pray together. God, I do pray that Easter would change everything in me and all who are gathered here. God, Don't let us take the greatest singular event in human history and let it lie unused and untapped. God, change who we are by giving us this new birth through our faith in Christ. God, change the way we live by letting us live by hope and by joy. God, embrace us into your arms with this inheritance that you have prepared for us. We ask it in the name of Christ, the one who died, the one who was buried, the one who was resurrected to never die again. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.